chapter 1, we, we read that um, Solomon's put his name to them. He didn't write them all, but I guess he was responsible perhaps for uh, putting them together uh, in a uh, compilation uh, of good wisdom saying. So he was happy to give his name to it. We're going to look um, at a very familiar proverb this morning, um, chapter 3 and verses um, 5 to 6. And uh, it's an invitation, an inv- three invitations with a promise. And I've um, entitled the talk this morning, Keeping on the Straight and Narrow. And I think you'll see that when, when we read it. Let's ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you have uh, inspired men and women to write the scriptures and to bring these things into being for us. And we ask you, Lord, to teach us this morning. Lord, help us that we may follow you more closely in our lives. Lord, we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, threefold invitation with a promise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the first invitation or condition. The second is lean not to your own understanding. The third is in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Or as another version has it, he will direct your paths. Now I'm sure that if, if you know the Lord, that is something that is appealing to you, to know that God is directing your paths. So we're going to look at the promise um, just briefly at the beginning. I'll come back to it again later. But the promise is, he will make your paths straight, or he will direct your paths. I get from this that what is meant is that we've no need to stumble aimlessly through life, frequently filling up, uh, ending up in, in blind alleys, but that God will lead us and guide us so that we fulfill his purposes, so that our life is fruitful and we will experience the most good. I think that's how we would want to interpret that, wouldn't we? We'd do that. And um, these verses... I believe meant to give us a sense of peace and security and confidence that in all the ups and downs of life, in all the difficulties of life, God is able to lead us and guide us. But we see from the earlier verse that we have to cooperate. It isn't do as you like and God will sort it all out in the end. It doesn't matter. Everybody's going to get saved in the end, so why worry? Just live as you like. No, far from it. What we see is that straight paths, that paths that God is leading, are the product of an ongoing relationship with God. Right? It's a product of an ongoing relationship with God. It's not do as you like. And... Um, Straight paths are not always easy paths. We mustn't assume that if we're following God's straight path, that life's going to be easy, that we're going to be spared the problems of this life, that we're going to have prosperity and all the rest of it that make life easy. Um, Many people who would claim to be the Lord's have to suffer in life, sometimes because they belong to the Lord. Also, God is not obliged to reveal his plan in advance to us. We'd like that. And people go chasing after horoscopes and all the rest of it, trying to find out the future. But God is not obliged to tell us what his plan and purpose is for us. And we may not even be aware of it at the time. Only perhaps looking back, 
we see that in all those ups and downs and difficulties of life, God was actually leading us and guiding us and actually bringing some good into our lives. There was purpose uh, to some of the suffering that we went through. So the key um, word here is trust. Trust. Um, If God explained everything in advance, told us everything that was going to happen, then there'd be very little need to trust, would there? But we trust because we don't know everything and uh, that God is working his purpose out sometimes behind the scenes on our behalf. So three conditions for a straight path. And um, I'm kind of giving this a Christian perspective, as you might expect. Uh, Obviously, this was uh, written for people many years before Jesus, and it was quite applicable. But now we have the greater revelation of God through Jesus. Then we can view this from a Christian perspective. So first one, trust in the Lord with all your heart. The first question and the most crucial question we must ask is, who is the Lord that we're trusting? Um, Is he the God of the nations? Israel was in the midst of uh, nations who had all sorts of gods, false gods, terrible gods. But is it that God? Is it the God of our imagination? Even people who are perhaps brought up in a Christian environment, they want a God of their imagination and the God of their preferences. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you've shared something with scriptures about God's purposes in salvation and you've talked about the fact that you know, naturally we're, we're enemies of God uh, and that we're under God's wrath and we need God's salvation. And people say, my God's not like that. My God's a God of love and, and God will make everything right in the end. You know, my Jesus is not like that. Well, we're talking about here the God of revelation, not the God of our imagination, the God that we would like. Uh, we're talking about the God who has revealed himself. And I know I've said this many times before, but it's so important um, that we only know about God what he has chosen to reveal of himself. We can't imagine God in our own minds. Now, of course, it's true that we can learn something of God as we look at nature, as we look, perhaps look into uh, the, the, the night sky and see all the wonders uh, of the heavenly bodies and so on, and how they all move in their path. That tells us something about God, his creative ability, his power to keep those things in place. We might look in a, in a microscope and people are discovering more and more DNA is more complicated than we ever thought it was. And how wonderful all these things work. They tell us something about God's creative power uh, and the diversity of all that he has made. But it doesn't tell us what God thinks. It doesn't tell us God's moral standards, what God thinks of us, what God thinks of his world, what God's plans are for the world. We will never know those unless we listen to what God has to say about them. So he's the God of revelation not a God of superstition or God of my preference. And uh, we read at the beginning of Hebrews that wonderful couple of verses. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So God is a speaking God. And if God speaks, we must listen. We must take note. But it goes on. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. God's revelation is an ever-expanding revelation, ever-expanding. And we see that Jesus uh, is the best revelation of God that we have. Jesus said, trust in God, trust also in me. Uh, then he said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. So God has spoken and we need to take note of that. 
If God has spoken through his word, then the implication is we must trust his word. We must trust the word of God. If we're trusting God, then we're trusting the word of God too. Um, that is our, our, our guide for doctrine and life and, and everything that we need to know from God. But um, you know, for Christians, our trust begins with salvation. Salvation has been revealed to us and we are encouraged, we're invited to put our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ so that our sins might be forgiven uh, that we might be given eternal life and be welcomed into God's uh, heavenly kingdom. And we have to trust ourselves completely. So that's the first stage of trusting the Lord with all your heart. And it is about a transfer of trust. Um, I think David mentioned about um, a few weeks back about um, we, when we stand before God in judgment, you know, who are we trusting? I think Steve also alluded to it. But, you know, if we stand before God without God's revelation, without the things that God has spoken to us, and God says, why should I let you into heaven? We're going to trust ourselves. We're going to say, well, I, I know I've not done everything right, but I've done some things well, and I hope these good things will outweigh the bad and that you're going to accept me. But by God's revelation tells us that all our righteousness is like filthy rags and that God has provided for us the perfect righteousness in the person of Jesus himself. He is our righteousness. So if we know him and we trust him, then when God asks that question, we say, I'm with him. I am trusting Jesus that he took my sins upon the cross for me and I've received his righteousness and now my righteousness is all in him. So it's a transfer of trust. We once trusted ourselves, but we now trust the Lord. And we see that we get an eternal perspective on this. And Paul says to the Colossians, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I love that phrase, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We are inextricably now bound up with Jesus Christ. No one can pluck us out of his hand. You know, we are absolutely bound up in him. Our future, our security is in him. And that's a reason, if you get a grasp of that, why we should trust him, because we are bound up in him. Also, we trust him because we are family. Um, I don't know about you, but occasionally when I'm going on a plane, we do the old thing of walking across the tarmac. You know, rather than going down that tunnel, and all of a sudden, you're on the plane before you know it. But when you walk across the tarmac, sometimes I look up, if, if I'm at the end of the plane, and I look at those little windows where the pilot is, you know. And they're so tiny, aren't they, compared with the size of the plane. But I'm, one of these days, I'm hoping the pilot's going to be waving at me. <laughs> And he's going to go like that, you know. And I think because, you know, I have to trust that he knows what he's doing, um, that he's been properly trained, that he's got his flying hours in, and um, he hasn't been on the binge the night before, so he's not bleary-eyed. But I trust him because he's an expert. But we don't just, just trust God because he's an expert. We trust him because he's our Heavenly Father. And we are his children. Does that make a difference? He's not just the expert, but he's our father. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. 
Therefore, divine providence, we'll call it, God guiding and leading us through life, is for those who have wholeheartedly, with our whole hearts, surrendered to God in salvation. And we trust the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that he has uh, removed our sins from us. But life can be hard, can't it? Life can be very difficult. It can be unjust and seemingly pointless at times. Um, We can be very confused. It may seem sometimes that God is not speaking and we'd love him to speak because we don't know what's going on. But in these circumstances, we have to apply divine logic. Divine logic. And it goes like this. If God loved us so much that he was prepared to come to earth in the form of his son, to humble himself, to be a servant, to be abused, um, to be misunderstood, and then to give his life, a, a dreadful death on the cross. And if, if God loved us so much, surely he can look after us in this life. Even when we, we're not aware of it, even when life seems difficult and pointless. That is divine logic and Paul mentions it there in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's the question. How is it that if God went to such lengths to save us, will he not look after us in this life? Okay, How will he not? That's the, the, logic, the logic. So assurance of salvation will convince us that God will keep us on the straight and narrow and lead us safely home. The next point. And lead, lean not on your own understanding. We find that knowledge is increasing rapidly in the world in which we're in. We, we're in information overload, aren't we, in this life? Um, it just seems to hit us all the time. When I was young, if I wanted to know something, I asked my dad. If he didn't know, I'd ask my teacher. And then if the teacher didn't know, and I was fortunate enough to have a whole shelf full of Encyclopedia Britannica, I might be able to thumb through those and find out something. Um, but uh, today, we Google it, don't we? If we want to know something, how many Googlers are here? Right, who are the Googlers? Right, can you put your hand up? How many non-Googlers here? Now you be honest. Uh, right, that's okay. That's fine. That's fine. You're probably liberated, and you know, but if you don't know, uh, Google is just a, a computer program where you put some keywords in, uh, and lots of sites come up, and you can find the information that you want. So we're in information overload. Also. Scientific advance seems to be accelerating. New things seem to be discovered all the time. And we get undisputed facts given by experts who in a year's time will change their mind about certain things. But never mind. But it's, it's good to note that years ago, um, that famous scientists, uh, say like Sir Isaac Newton who discovered the law of gravity, um, these people believed they were discovering the mighty works of God. Right? They were believers. They were looking at what they were doing and saw they were be discovering the mighty works of God. Well, pursuit of knowledge is good, but we must interpret it through divine revelation. God has given us insights into these things, and that's how we do it. So chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where we start. Paul tells us in Corinthians that man, by his own wisdom, cannot know God. He can never know God by his own wisdom. And also, man will never make sense of life. What is the meaning of life? Well, let's just look at that for a moment. I put here the theory of evolution versus God's creational intention for mankind. Just think about it for a moment. The theory of evolution says that millions, if not billions of years ago, in some primeval soup of chemicals, um, that by some maybe external means, like a lightning bolt or something, uh, life emerged automatically um, from inanimate chemicals. So life in the form of a single cell, that single cell multiplied and multiplied. Some of those copies were bad copies that are called mutations. And then by natural selection, different animals and things began to be produced until you get to man. And, and uh, here we are as a result of accident, um, bad copies and um, you know, mutations, whatever you like. There's no plan. There's no purpose to it. How terrible. Uh, you know, and to be honest, we're all freaks of nature, aren't we? Some are more freaky than others, but but we're but we're all. That's the conclusion, isn't it? There's no plan. There's no purpose to it. But we see, if we read Genesis, that God had a plan and a purpose for this world, which He has revealed to us through His Word, and uh, and we're part of that plan and purpose. It's absolutely fantastic that that's so. That we're part of God's plan. And it's, it's part of God's purpose. So that's so important that we don't lean to our own understanding or the understanding of the so-called experts. Then moral foundations, that's another issue. What do I mean by that? Well, I, I mean that God as creator has a right to say how things should be. He is the creator and the sustainer of life and therefore he has a right to say how things should be and particularly how people, human beings, uh, should behave and um, you know, the thing today is we're making it up as we go along aren't we we're making the rules up as we go along we're ignoring um, God's basis for morality and we're making it up as we go along the church is the custodian has been the custodian of this truth over centuries the truth of God the revelation of God we are the keepers uh, of this truth and years ago then the laws of our our, our nation were largely based on this revelation. But now the church is told that you're out of step. You're out of step with modern society, particularly on issues of marriage and sexuality. You're out of step and you better soon get into line because you're out of step with modern society. I'm pleased we are out of step, frankly, because our understanding is from God. We don't lean to our own understanding or society's understanding but we hold to the word of God. In all your ways, acknowledge him. If you're like me, even though I know it's wrong, I do things that I know are wrong, I compartmentalise my life sometimes. I think this is God's business, so, and, and, and that's, this, this is my business, and if this is God's business, we better pray a lot about this, but this is my business, sometimes I might pray about it. But, when the writer says, in all your ways, it infers that God is interested in the whole. Right? God doesn't see things as sacred and secular. God is concerned for our whole lives. And Jesus even said, didn't he, that even the hairs of your head are numbered. 
that God knows the number of hairs on your head. So God is intimately involved with us and God controls our destiny and we, we need to have an understanding of that. And I was thinking, how do we, how do we help ourselves acknowledge him in all, all our ways? How do we do that? Um, there's, if you get to discuss this in cell, um, there's an opportunity to share some ideas on that. But I've just given two things here. The first is to be thankful for the ordinary and the mundane. Okay? Thankful for the ordinary. If I was to say, let's all stand and let's give thanks uh, to God for something that you're really, you know, God has blessed you in this week or this month, we'd all be racking our brains for something big, some miracle. You know, Aunt Bertha's big toe's been healed and somebody put some money through our door because we were desperate, we didn't know who it was. And like, but I think it's helpful if we, if we thank God for the ordinary and the mundane. So when we wake in the morning, we immediately say, thank you, God, for a, a night's sleep. Thank you for keeping me through the night. Thank you. I've got breath this morning. I have a measure of health. Lord, thank you for the, for the warmth, for the clothing. Lord, thank you that I have a sense of security in my home. Thank you I have the prospect of breakfast. And, and go on like that. And just, just thank God for the ordinary things of life because he is the provider of them all. And I believe that gives us a perspective that we acknowledge him in all our ways. The other thing is to remind ourselves of the purpose for which we are saved. Now, I realise that, if you like, the big thing that we're saved from is from God's judgment and, 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 and punishment in hell. That's what we're saved from. And, and, and God will welcome us into his eternal kingdom. That's a great thing. But the Bible tells us that we're here for a purpose in the meantime. And the purpose is to live to the praise of his glory. We are living to praise God. Paul says at the beginning of Ephesians, he says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So we're here in the meantime until Jesus comes again or till we die to go to be with him. We're here to live for the praise of his glory. And Romans 12 starts like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, God's mercy that saved us, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Right? Offering our bodies daily, moment by moment, as uh, our spiritual sacrifice. And, you know, it's very easy to get in our minds that worship is what we do on a Sunday here. We come, we sing some songs, so we're going to worship. But I honestly believe that the choices that we make, acknowledging Jesus as Lord in our lives, when we are able, by God's grace, to resist temptation and choose him rather than the lure of whatever that is, uh, then we are worshipping. It's an act of worship to make godly choices. And I believe that is another way of acknowledging him in all our ways. And I believe if we do those things, we put ourselves in a better place to hear the specifics from God, when God speaks to us by his Holy Spirit or some means. Um, years ago, I haven't seen it too often uh, lately, but um, Church, notice, church notices advertising a meeting used to have DV at the end of them, didn't they? 
and even on the notice board outside. Now I looked, I'd forgotten what it meant, you know, where it came from. So I looked on the internet and it means digital video. I, I just thought you'd, I thought you'd, I thought you'd like to know that. That's everywhere digital video, see? But it's Deo Valenti, all right? God willing. So people were acknowledging, we don't do it now, but people were acknowledging we're having this meeting, God willing, if God wills. And if you read James, and I give him the reference there, you'll see that James said, you know, don't be so proud that you can say, well, we're going to do this and going to do that. It's, you'll only do it if it's God's will for you to do it. So that, that can be helpful, can't it? Right, and he will make your paths straight. A straight path that glorifies him. I think we've seen that so far, haven't we? That it's God's purposes. It's so that we're fruitful, so that we glorify him. And the writer to the Hebrews said, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, or the path may be marked out for us. I'd like to suggest that there are two major dimensions to this path, God's will for us. The first dimension applies to all of us. It's a general um, uh, uh, statement of God's will for each and every one of us. It's the same for you as it is for me. And this will of God is revealed in the scriptures. And we can all see it. If we want to know what we should be doing, we can read in the scriptures uh, what it's about. God's will, first of all, is cosmic. And we've even, even looked at that a little bit in, in Ephesians. That God shows us before the foundation of the world. And, um, and, and that's going to reach its fulfillment when we're welcomed uh, into God's eternal kingdom. We're now caught up in God's worldwide purposes. We've now seen something of the bigger picture. That's the term we used for one series of sermons, didn't we? But at the moment, it's personal and it's complete. Um, there came a time when we heard the gospel. We heard the call of God through the gospel. God called us to himself through the gospel uh, and we responded. That was our salvation. And now, this period between now and our glorification, that is when uh, we go to be with the Lord and we see him face to face and we're fully transformed into his likeness and we will be like him. In between... We have sanctification, that is this, this ongoing process of God to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. God does that through the Holy Spirit and through circumstances uh, that we have to face. And we say, well, this takes place as we renew our minds. And reading on in Romans 12, we read this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So God's path for us, God's will for us, we will better understand if our minds are renewed and our minds are renewed by filling them with the Holy Scriptures. Aren't they? That's how we renew our minds. We won't like, we're not like to renew our minds watching the television or whatever. We will by reading the scriptures. And Paul says uh, to Timothy, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For every good work. So what is God's will for us right now? I'm still looking in the general. It is about character and conduct. 
God is concerned about our character, that we become more like Jesus, and our conduct. And um, I don't know, we, I, we often get kind of screwed up about some decisions that we have to make. Shall I take this job or shall I take that job? Now, I'm not saying God isn't interested which job we take, but I believe he's more interested in how I behave in that job, how I respond to people in that job, uh, than he is about which job I take. Because whatever job I take, I've got to live to the praise of his glory. And I believe that's um, you know, what, what uh, uh, God's more concerned about. So we have a scripture which tells us what God's will is. It says... Uh, Paul speaking to the Thessalonian church, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That applies to us all. It's not, not personal or particular in that sense. But if we look at that, maybe the particular path uh, that is special to our lives, and we can look in the Bible and we can see people of faith um, God seems to have plans for them. They didn't always know about them at the time, but he did. People like Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, Gideon, and later, of course, uh, Jesus himself and the Apostle Paul. We get a sense that they were, they were working to a plan that was a, a divine plan uh, that they were seeking to fulfill. I guess the question is, do we have to discover it? Do we have to di- if God's got a plan for us, do we have to discover that plan? Um, I, I alluded to people and horoscopes and things like that, you know, but um, people get themselves in such a state, um, you know, because they want to know the future. To be honest, I don't, I don't want to know the future. I just want to know my future's in God's hands. That's all I need to know. If, if we'd known in advance some of the, you know, unfortunate things that happened in our life, uh, what, how would we worry about them all the time that the things are coming? We, don't, we actually don't need to know. And um, what um, uh, an example would be the, the character of Joseph, uh, Joseph in Egypt. And um, you remember that Joseph was sold into slavery because his brothers were jealous of him. And um, he arrives in Egypt, seems to go all right for a while, then he's falsely accused, he's put in prison, he languishes in prison, he's forgotten, he's left there longer than he might need to be. But all through that, um, he honoured God, he trusted God, he had no idea what God was doing with him. Eventually, he was released from prison and given a very high place in the nation, uh, the next in command under Pharaoh. And by that means, he was able to save that nation from famine, bring his family uh, into Egypt to save them as well from the famine. And his brothers were were really um, nervous that Joseph was going to, to get his own back on them for all that they had done. But this is what Joseph said. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So it's an illustration that Joseph didn't know what was happening, but he trusted God. And in the end, God was able to show him um, the purpose uh, for his suffering and for the, the difficulty he was in. And um, we, life um, is not a, an ideal blueprint. I, mean, I think some Christians think that God's got a plan for them and if by mistake or, or deliberately they wander from it, 
then they're damned. You know, they can never get back. They'll, they'll always be regretting that they, 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 they strayed away from God's will in their life. I can, and I understand that feeling. But what we need to understand is that God is so sovereign, absolutely sovereign, there is nothing he cannot do that if we repent of that, if it's sin, we repent of it uh, and we come back to God, then we're right in the centre of God's will again, once again. Because God is even able to use our mistakes uh, to bring about his purposes. And we've got that verse uh, again in Romans 8. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So it's all things. Even my mistakes, even my disobedience. Yes, it's all things. All things. God is able to work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So... There's not an ideal blueprint, but there is a God who is sovereign and able to take all the affairs of us, all our affairs, and mould them into his purposes. Our straight path may involve suffering. I alluded to that earlier. Many Christians who are following God's way around the world are suffering. Um, Jesus himself, who we would say followed the Father's plan absolutely, perfectly, um, it was a way of suffering for him. But it had a purpose. It had a redeeming purpose. And the Apostle Paul, uh, when uh, he was um, confronted by Jesus on the Damascus Road uh, and he was converted, uh, very soon uh, he was told that, uh, that even as a, an apostle to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, that uh, he would have to suffer many things for the sake of the name of Jesus. But suffering can have a purpose if we are on God's path, part of his good and, and perfect will for us. Also, we trust that God is able and he will deliver. Right? God is able to do it. God is able uh, to keep us on the path, uh, to make our path straight, and he will deliver. And um, there's a number of scriptures I've put there, but just the first one, um, Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's a bit like this divine logic again. Would God set us on this path? Would God save us? Would God start a work in us that he wouldn't finish? There's no logic to that, is there? God will finish that work. All right. Sometimes in spite of us, God will finish it. And there's some other scriptures there. Just to finish, just very briefly, and I trust that you may get some time to talk about this in cell, but guidance and decision-making, it's a great big subject, but I'm only going to just touch on it briefly, just to kind of round up. Firstly, our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Remember we read that? You, know, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So... Jesus' destiny is our destiny. Uh, his future is our future. And his wisdom is our wisdom. Paul tells the, the Corinthians, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And there are other scriptures there that tell us that Jesus is our wisdom. I mean, one of the ways that we might apply that um, is like those who wear the wristband, WWJD. Anybody got one of those? WWJD wristbands? What, what would Jesus do? 
Okay? You get a, you get a situation, and maybe one of the best things, if you're not quite sure, you say, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? It might be difficult if you're going to buy a bicycle, and it's this bicycle and that bicycle, and they're both the same price. Um, you, that may not help you. But if you're concerned about how much money you spend, what you do with your money, where your priorities are with money, then what would Jesus do may help us. And how we respond to people, people who are nice to us, people who are nasty to us, how do we respond to them? You know, how should we act? Well, it's not a bad thing to say, what would Jesus do? So Jesus is our wisdom. But another thing is that God wants us to mature as Christians uh, and to mature to a point where we're able to make godly decisions. It's just, you know, God is our Father uh, and He is encouraging us to mature as His children. And we would do the same with our own children, wouldn't we? Um, when our children are very small, we make all their decisions for them, don't we? They don't make any decisions. You wear this, you don't wear that, you do this, you don't do that. But, but as, as they get older, as you teach them the ways of righteousness, good ways to live, then little by little you allow them to make their own choices. You can choose what trousers you put on this morning. It's up to you, which, you know, okay. No, not those, you know. Uh, but um, but that's, we, we want our children to mature, don't we? Till we get to the point when we say, it's over to you. I trust that you know the right ways to make decisions, you know, the basis on which you make good decisions. And I believe that is how it is with God. Now, we have to keep open to God and his Holy Spirit that he might intervene and interact with us and lead us and guide us and maybe prevent us from doing something. But day by day, I believe we come to a point where we are able to make godly decisions without always necessarily praying about every, every decision. And, um, you know, I think that in, in, in scriptures, there aren't answers to everything. Um, where God has spoken, then we can, we can clearly take note of that and make sure that we act accordingly. But just as an example, uh, we can look at the way Paul approached his ministry. If you read from Acts 9 onwards where Paul was converted, uh, he and his companions travelled around the known world preaching the gospel and planting churches. Very often you hear that they made a decision. We decided that we would go over to here. We decided we would do that. But they were still open uh, to God. And this is, this is how we read it in Acts 16. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, making their own decisions. Right? Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they made their own godly decisions on the basis that Paul had a ministry to take the gospel to the Gentiles and he was pursuing that with all his might. Uh, but he was also open to the Holy Spirit to stop him or to, to direct him where to go. 
that's a big subject, but you may get a chance, to, as I say, to talk about that in cell. So, just to conclude then, the key to a straight path is to trust in the Lord with all our heart. And the first thing that we do is that we trust him in salvation. We give our lives completely. We say, my life is now yours, Lord Jesus. Lord, I'm trusting you, that you're my righteousness in heaven. My place in heaven is secure because I'm trusting you. And, but then um, the logic says, the divine logic says, if that's the case, we can trust him for our lives. So we trust in the Lord with all our hearts. We don't lean to our own understanding. We allow the Holy Spirit and the scriptures to teach us God's understanding. And in all our ways, we acknowledge him. We thank him for the ordinary and the mundane. We remember um, what we're here for, to live to the praise of his glory. And if that's the case, then we can know God's leading and guiding. Um, He will direct our paths. He will make our paths straight. Thank you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that it's not only holy and deep, but it's practical. Lord, we thank you for the practicality of your word that we can apply it to our lives. Help us, we pray, Lord. Help us to to live to the praise of your glory, Lord, and to, to more and more to trust you for every detail of life. Lord, help us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got a few minutes and we're going to sing, I'm going to trust in God, I'm going to trust in Jesus, just to finish.